You're listening to Chicago's Gospel Podcast, a show that explores how the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ shapes your life in an ever-changing city. In each episode, we'll take you on a tour of the city to discover how the gospel speaks into both the unique opportunities and challenges Christians face in an urban context. This is a show from Chicago and for Chicago. So let's get to work. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're tuning into this podcast, we're glad that you are. Uh, my name is Eric Viker. And I'm happy to be here. I'm Will Pareja. We are recording once again from our makeshift studio here at Addison Street Community Church. If you happen to be looking for a church in Chicago or you're just stopping by for a long weekend, uh, we'd love to have you in worship with us. Hmm. I think one of the pains we experienced, brother, correct me if you feel otherwise, is it is a transient community in the city, um, so we we lose a lot of people that we fall in love with. But the the cool part of that is that we get to meet a lot of people who funnel through the city for work to see family, friends that we would never meet otherwise. That's true. I take it for granted. Yeah. I don't think about other churches and pastors that I'm friends with in other parts of the state or the country who don't have that sort of regular. Uh, turnstile yeah. <laughs> feeling yeah. of people coming through. I, yeah. I've, man, I've not been yeah. in churches for a long time that didn't, didn't yeah. have that. Like, I think of two guys who've spent a decent, like, considerable amount of time with us. Uh, a young guy from California was here for three months for work and, like, felt like he was a part of our community. So, again, there's a pain in seeing him go back to California, but it was also like, oh, what a blessing to yeah. uh benefit from this man of God who came to us. Hopefully he at least left with like half a percentage point more of sanctification by being with us. Um, But yeah, we're here in Chicago. We're grateful for the opportunity to talk about the things of God. Um, You hear it in our intro, but we're always just trying to talk about this glorious gospel. How How does this thing that never changes, this thing, this message that's been building the church for 2,000 years, how does it speak into our ever-changing city? I think one of the perennial temptations is thinking that it doesn't. It's antiquated, so it actually doesn't have much to inform us with about chat GPT and AI and hmm. the, the new neighborhood. I don't know if you saw this, the 78. No. <laughs> they're literally building a new neighborhood uh, just south of the loop. It's not South Loop. Oh, I think wow. it's west of South Loop. It's called the 78. Uh, wow. how, how, does, <laughs> how does the gospel help us think about this wild ambition of huh. the city that, that works? Um, so anyways, today we're talking about our missional values. We have five that we have codified as a church we say we value these five things. We value a lot of things, but if we're really going to focus on our values, it's going to be these five things. So the way it's stated is that we're a community of believers proclaiming the word through worship, discipleship, and service. Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? Yes. Yep. So the five things, what are they? Community. Community. Word. Word. Worship. Discipleship. Service. Community. Word. Discipleship. Worship. Discipleship. Service. So let's take those in order. We are a community. What does it mean that we value community? I mean, it's saying that we are, but it's also value that we don't take it for granted that we're a community. 
Yes, a a word that is used by a lot of groups. Mm. I mean, everywhere. So we're not saying that it's a neighborhood. We're not saying it's just any religious community. Um, it is a specific community. It's a defined by of believers. Mm. I think more specifically, it is a church mm. community. So it is it, it to say that means that there are distinctives and particulars of that community. For us to be a part of that community means that you must have um, met Jesus Christ, mm. and He must have radically changed your life, yeah. gradually, progressively, but distinctly over time. Um, you must have shown that publicly through baptism. Mm. And then you are showing that through the ongoing fellowship that you have at a church that congregates and that preaches the gospel and often partakes of Holy Communion. Mm. That's the communion. That is the community mm. of believers. So it's, and, and, and both kind of check each other because you could have believers who would say, I believe in the Apostles' Creed. Like you're on that side of theism, right? You can check off the Apostles' Creed, but you can check off the Apostles' Creed without being baptized mm. and without regular communion within yeah. a local church. Yeah. So those two community is of believers. They sort of check each other. Yeah, that's good. So yes, we value Christians as as individuals, but we ultimately value what God ultimately values, and is and that is a group of people that he calls his bride, the church, that he is knitting together in love. We, we value that. Um, and when we see each other in community, we feel like we're tapping into something that's better than just us as individuals. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, let me just clarify even further. There are communities of believers at North Park University yeah. or at Moody Bible Institute or maybe you work at a big corporation where you have a, a weekly gathering of believers. You get together for prayer or lunch, if, but it's specific. It's a community within your workforce yeah. that is a community of believers. Yeah. We are a community of believers, but we're none of those. Right, right. Yeah. That great passage in Acts 20 when Paul's addressing the Ephesian elders uh, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, the community of God, mm -hmm. which he obtained with his own blood. Who obtained it with his own blood? It doesn't say Christ. It says God, which mm. is obviously a clear text of the divinity of Christ. Yes. But what a powerful statement that if God, if the one true living God, the only God, spilled his blood for a community, then we better value that community. Yeah. So bravo. Yeah. Bravo to the communities at North Park, at, at work, at Moody, at wherever. Um, but those would actually be scatterings and smatterings of 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 believers who are part of that flock. Yeah. That that God spilled his blood yeah. for. Yeah. They are those believers are marked off by a church. They scatter and happen to be parts of maybe yeah. little communities of like-minded people yeah. across the city. Yeah. So we value community. We believe that God 
highly values community so highly that he would purchase her with the, that he would purchase the church with his blood, that community. We also value proclamation. I'll get this ball rolling and you can correct me or, or build on me. Uh, but notice that we don't say that we're a, a community of, of preachers proclaiming. We're not a community of pastors or deacons. No, we're, we're a community of believers. If you're a believer, then we think that you're a proclaimer, that you mm. exist to proclaim the word through worship, discipleship, and service. So Paul says in Ephesians 4, Eric Vicker paraphrase, the paid laborers, the official laborers, the pastors, the evangelists, the teachers, they exist not to do the work of the church, but to equip the saints. There's no average believers in the church, but Mm -hmm. for the sake of the conversation, the, the, the average Joe in the pew, they exist to equip them for the works of ministry. Um, the Apostle Peter talks about this community uh, proclaiming the excellencies of mm. him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we value all Christians proclaiming. Yes, some have been set apart to proclaim in an official um, sanctioned way where when they're behind the pulpit, you're, you're sort of we, we do believe that you're hearing the voice of God when they handle the scriptures rightly, mm-hmm. but that doesn't negate the average member from also being a proclaimer in their life. Yeah, Corrections, yeah. additions. No, that's, that's fantastic. I think one of the curious oversights of, of maybe most Christians, perhaps uh, ministers of the word, is Acts chapter 8. That after the the death of Stephen, the, the martyrdom of of Stephen, one of the deacons of the first church in Jerusalem, is Jerusalem's having this this revival, but it comes with some hostility and basically pushes people t- to run for their lives. And what do they do? So they're kind of saving their necks, and they run where Samaria, the next phase of of the the spread of the gospel is according to Acts 1a, Jerusalem, Samaria, all of Judea. And they go to Samaria, and it's not Peter that's preaching there. These are these are believers who are running for their lives, proclaiming the word. Mm-hmm. So these are the quote-unquote average Juanitas and Jose's out there proclaiming the word yep. in yeah. Samaria. Right. So it wasn't, they couldn't have done it. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about that section of of the book of Acts is Peter hears about it, and so he goes and he checks it out. So the ministry of the word, the ministry of evangelism, and proclaiming the excellencies of our Lord Jesus is done by you, dear listener. Yeah. yeah. So proclaiming the word, I think when people hear word, they think the Bible, mm-hmm. which I think is half the equation. There's a way of proclaiming the 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 inspired word in a way that I think is actually irresponsible and, and counterproductive to what we're supposed to do as Christians. Is this where you where you give us your three your threefold word? Or <laughs> I'll say that for another. Well, c- kind of. I guess I actually am. <laughs> if you're going to tell us we're irresponsible, uh, <laughs> then give it to us. That's where I thought you were going. Well, it is, but I'm just going to focus on what I think the word that we're talking on mm-hmm. is here which is the gospel. So so Peter in 1 Peter 1 
says, quoting from Isaiah, all, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. Mm-hmm. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So he's quoting from Isaiah. And then the last line of chapter one of First Peter, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Huh. So for Peter there, it's not just, I, I think he affirms that the words of scripture will not perish, will not end. But what he understands Isaiah to be talking about is the message of, of the Bible, which centers on the Redeemer, which centers on Christ crucified, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, coming again. This, this gospel that is most succinctly put in the Apostles' Creed, um, this is the word that we're proclaiming, the gospel. Yeah, that's good. That's a fine distinction. So eternal word is a word that is proclaimed. What do you mean by that? So you, you, from the first verse there in Peter that you said, yeah. it's, it's the eternal word of God. And then you said, which was proclaimed to you. Right. So the difference between the messages of, we call them different religions, and all the messages out there, philosophies, is that there's been this pre-existent word, this truth, or set of truths that have always been, because God has always been, that have been downloaded into eternity onto pages and about a person who right. is himself the word. The incarnate word. The incarnate yep. word. And that becomes the message. That is, it's not just the what we proclaim, but it is the who. Right. Yeah, that we exactly. proclaim. So the way I kind of envision it is like the written word is is the widest circle. It is God. They are God's words. Mm-hmm. The the Bible itself focuses on the gospel word. All of the words of the Bible help us understand what God is doing in the world in the gospel word. And the gospel word focuses on the incarnate word himself, mm. the Lord Jesus. Yeah, I've always liked that distinction who, you make. Yeah, who doesn't? That doesn't make him less than the written words of God, the, the scriptures, but it does show his centrality to all of them. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. We're a community, not just pastors, deacons, preachers. We're a community of believers uh, who have the task of proclamation. So when we say we proclaim the word, it, that word, word, embedded in that is the person and work of Jesus right, Christ. Exactly. Yeah. Not just... Yeah. Um, Bible literacy, Bible truths, propositions. Yeah. It is both prop it's it's story right as well. Yeah. So I think this is important because we're not all trained rhetoricians, we're not all trained preachers, but we're all called to do this task. So I guess my encouragement for people listening to this would be just pay attention to friends who you respect, who you know like can, can talk about the gospel in a winsome, clear way with unbelievers, or even as they build up believers, pay attention to the way your pastors are preaching, not so that you can go out and try to re-preach their sermon, but just how are they approaching this to see Christ, to apply it to people's lives, to show people's needs, stuff like that. Pay, pay attention to people who you mm. respect, uh, admire in terms of how they handle the word. And just try to imitate that. Again, not word for word, but just in terms of how they're actually seeing Christ in all of Scripture. Yeah, it's it's like we, we're giving handles. Right. You know, um, 
you know, when I, I have a kid who plays baseball and you have Mike Trout cleats. Well, mm-hmm. having Mike Trout cleats is going to make you play like Mike Trout and doing everything like the pros. So we we get instructed and so we're given handles. So the best coaches, the best teachers are the ones who give handles yeah. so that you can go kind of like wrap your bat with the yeah. kind of tape you want yeah. uh, to the, the context where you're in. Yeah. And you're going to go apply the gospel accordingly to the places where um, missionaries and pastors and traditional Christian workers cannot go. Yeah, it's good. So one, community. Two, who proclaims the word. Three, through worship. So third value, worship. I want to take it for granted in this conversation, uh, give our listeners the benefit of the doubt that they value the public regular Sunday worship gathering. But we think that this these values are all of life. So beyond Sunday, what is what does worship look like for an individual? I'll ask you that as I as I maybe try to attempt what it might look like for like families. So mm. um, I think worship should be a part of family life. There's the colloquial phrase of family worship that's used. I think it was used a lot more a long time ago. It seems to be having at least a little bit of a resurgence. I've seen a few resources yeah. advocating for family worship. Um, I can't think off the top of my mind of like a Bible verse that even uses those two words back to back, family worship. So when I, can't, I was growing up was family devotions. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's I not in the Bible yeah, either. I can't think of where we could say this verse says you have to do family worship. Um I guess even I'm thinking of two things. One, Abraham and Isaac. Two, the Shema. Let me start in reverse order. The Shema, Hero Israel, hmm. the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. When? Just at Sunday school? No. When? When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you put them down to sleep and when you set your alarm in the morning and when you get up, when you're having coffee. Yeah. So Amen. I think that would be advocating family worship, which doesn't necessarily always look like getting, most of the time it doesn't look like getting out a hymnal or getting out uh, the Siri playlist with worship music. Yeah, that informal, might be right. but intentional. Yeah, exactly. Those are two great descriptors. Informal, but intentional. You, you, you intend on worshiping the Lord with your family every day, even if sometimes it's just talking about what the Lord did in your life that day. Um, so I think worship belongs in the family unit, which the Bible also understands to not just mean biological family, although it certainly doesn't mean less than that. There so what do you be, mean by Abraham and Isaac? I'm, I'm yeah. curious. So God, God tells Abraham he's going to have a son. The mm-hmm. promise is going to continue through the son. And then in the most strange turn of events, he tells Abraham to sacrifice the son mm-hmm. of promise. Uh, let me find my place here in, in Genesis, what, 22, 22-7. Um, so they go up on the mountain. They've got everything ready. Isaac is there with them. I, I can't remember. Do you know how old Isaac is at this time? He's got to be like a teenager. Yeah, maybe yeah. 12. He's young, but he knows. So... Um, Thanks for your patience as you're listening to this podcast. 22-7 of Genesis. 
And Isaac said to his father, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? So his, quest, his question assumes that he knows how this worship thing goes. Mm-hmm. He, he's learned what it means to worship Yahweh in this primitive sense, yes, in the wow. fullness of the sense that Abraham knew and, and what was required of him. But, but Isaac knew what it meant to worship, the parts of worship, what it means to worship the Lord. And uh, I think it's just, it's, I don't want to say it's hidden there, but it's, I guess, reading between the lines that Abraham was a man of worship, and he, I think, led his family well in worship flaws and everything. Um, so that's those are the kind of the two texts that came to mind for me in terms of if we value worship, we should value, yes, public Sunday gatherings, but also the informal worship that happens in our homes. Yeah, and as you were saying that, I couldn't help but think of the whole thing that went down between Cain and Abel mm. was about a war, a, an offering. And there again, I've never thought of it in the terms you've just said, but there's an, assu- an assumption that these these brothers, we're not told, but there's an assumption that they understood right. about offering to the Lord. Yeah. So even in that very, we would say, primitive sense, there was an understanding, there was a development going yeah. on in that home. Yeah, Even though Adam and Eve had sinned and they were suffering the consequences of the fall, that there's still, um, I mean, the Lord graciously killed an animal to cover Adam and Eve. So th- this was a, even though it was a broken home because of the first sin, it was still a worshiping home because of the, the, the blood of the lamb, right. Right. in a sense, the covering that they got. Yeah. So should we worship as individuals? I hope we all have time by ourselves. It's good for our soul. It's good for our heart. When we're by ourselves, should, should that be worship? And if yes, on what grounds? <clears throat> yes. I mean, we, in terms of pursuing devotion to Christ, um, if we're trying to replicate a, a Sunday gathering, I don't know that we're called to do that Monday through Saturday on our own private terms. But I think knowing God and being known by him in word and prayer, sure, you can sing. Some of you are are singing in the shower and maybe even listening to the podcast while you're taking a shower. Well, hey, I mean, that's that's great. We're not here to judge and say whether or not you're you're worshiping. Um, but indeed, uh, like Romans talks about, on the heels of the great 11 chapters, that we are to offer ourselves as a yeah. living sacrifice. Right. All right, so that that's it's your reasonable act of service, of act of worship. So everything, in a sense, we do, and it is not to say that well, if we call everything worship, then nothing is. No, no, that's actually God is saying like, no, there is more of yourself to give. Mm, that's good. You can never out worship God, yeah. and 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 come to a point where I've given Him everything. Yeah, that's a great. Word. You know, yeah. so, uh, but back to the church thing though, I would say just real quick, the gathering. Is certainly, it's the floor, it's the right. bottom part of the. Th- it's the threat. It's it's the bottom part of it. Right. It's necessary. Like you don't have personal worship that's informed and warm, and growing, if you're not part of that, right. that regular rhythm of communal gathering yeah. on on the Lord's day. Yeah, and I don't know anyone personally who's trying to replicate a Sunday service 
in private on a daily basis. But I would say that actually you can learn about the elements of fair personal worship mm-hmm. through the worship gathering, word-centered, prayer-saturated, satur- and even within prayer, adoration, confession, confessing sin, mm-hmm. thanking God, seeking Him for our needs. Um, so you learn about prayer. How do you think it's appropriate to sing in private? Yeah, uh, me too. So I encourage it. Singing... Um, yeah, the other thing I was thinking of is we get these great snapshots of Christ rising early to seek to to seek his father in prayer. There seems to be individual worship even in the life of Christ, uh, individual seeking of, uh, of his father. So, could we say it this way? We said we've seen Jesus get baptized. He didn't need a, b- a baptism for the washing away of sins, but if Jesus got baptized an argument from greater to lesser. So that's the pattern for believers now. Right. If Jesus got up and worshiped and pursued God, not in the synagogue or temple, but for the sake of fellowship, should we not right. as well? Yeah. So we're a community. We proclaim the word secondarily, three, through worship, fourth, through discipleship or disciple lean. You turn me on to that Jaron form of of the word discipling, it's it's very active. It's it communicates um, that this is an all of life constant thing that we're doing. I'll add a comment again. You can either correct or add to it. One of my one of the men I admire the most, named Jeff Mills, uh, always advocates for mutual discipleship, hmm. and, and I and I love that because. I think some of us who've been blessed with people who've taken us under our wing can fall into this pattern of thinking there's one person doing the discipling and another person is receiving the discipleship. But the great proverbial statement that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, Mm -hmm. I think that's true about believers in general, that whether or not you have a PhD in theology or it's your third day following Christ— that there, if you have the spirit of God, then we can sharpen each other, convict each other, encourage each other, and so discipling is always a two-way street. Uh, even if I feel that, which I often do, leaving a conversation with you that you've deposited more in me than I've given to you, I trust that there is a a refining aspect going on mm-hmm. both ways. Yes. Indeed. So, um, I'm not sure that gets us very far down the field, but. Hopefully that's an encouragement to someone that like you're a dis, you're a discipler, right? Uh, so let's no but, matter but, who you are. But let's back that up. When we say in our mission statement, discipleship. Um, if all we did was if we understood that as, um, kind of teaching, mentoring, formal, informal, uh, fellowship, that would be impartial. That would not be complete. Because the discipleship, maybe we should change it to discipling, (laughs) is evangelism. Mm. It is the making of disciples and teaching them to observe whatever I have commanded you. So the discipleship um, word in our mission statement is fraught with both the making of, to the baptizing of, Mm. to the teaching of, to the point where... Those disciples go out 
and do likewise. Yeah. They disciples who make disciples. Yeah. So it's a it's a replicational yeah. uh, type of thing. So it is in the word discipleship. We're talking about evangelizing, making disciples, and and maturing. Yeah, making. I've heard it stated, making and maturing disciples. Yeah, and and everything that, in between. Yeah, that's actually a perfect transition to Colossians one, where Paul says, "Him we proclaim." In verse twenty-eight of mm. uh, of Colossians one, this Bible is small text. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. So I like that because it's a there's a destination with discipleship. Yes, that seems contradictory to what I was just saying. Discipling is an all of life, constant activity, but that doesn't mean you're spinning your wheels until the end of time. Like progress is being made. We're all being formed into the likeness of Christ, that we may be presented pure and blameless before Christ at his coming. Yeah, but I mean, it's also, I think there's in a sense, like a, a metric. Um, I, I know I, th- I don't know if I've said this on this podcast before, but when I watch football, I notice sometimes when two coaches go against each other, the the broadcasters will point out that, well, actually one of them is a was a, used to coach for the other guy. And there's like this coaching tree. <laughs> and Paul, before there was that in the NFL, Paul listed that out in Second Timothy 2 uh, to Timothy. Mm-hmm. And he says, what, what I've entrusted to you, you should commit to faithful men. Yeah. There's generation three. Who will be able to teach others? There's generation four. And there you have that discipleship tree Yeah. once again. And that's what we're saying we aspire towards as a church, that this would become a culture, a church that is of making disciples in and outside of the church. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, for the sake of time, let's clip on to value five, proclaiming the word through worship, discipleship, and service. First uh, Peter 4, 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God, as good stewards of God's varied grace. And then he, he lists a few examples of gifts. So God endows us with gifts in order, yes, that we might enjoy them, but again, that's not terminal, but that we might use them as good stewards of God's varied, of God's varied grace. That's one text of many that we could go to to establish yeah. this value. The greatest in the kingdom are those who, who have become servants of all. Um, but right, the, I don't think the Bible knows such thing as a Christian or a church that, um, that who does not serve. Mm-hmm. And we're not because what we're not talking about is the kind of altruism that characterizes the different neighborhoods you might live in, and the kind of activism that there might be to move the needle on cleaning the streets or making the education better or providing for the poor till there are no more poor, and certainly good things. We're talking about uh, pressing into that we believe in the power of Pentecost Mm -hmm. that sent the Holy Spirit and gave gifts Mm. to the church. So yes, Ephesians 4. But I'm talking about that every believer is gifted. Being baptized into the the church and and being saved means that you have been given gifts that have to be used. So there's no such thing as a disciple who is not a servant. Yeah. You don't you don't graduate somehow from mere disciple to oh now you're a servant disciple. Yeah. No, you're a 
You're to, to be a servant of the Lord means to be a disciple of the Lord, and to be a disciple of the Lord means to be a servant yeah, of him in his church and outside of his yeah, church. Yeah. You just think about how central Christ is to all of these values through a community, what the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. So many of these analogies are Christ-centered as it describes the church. So the community itself is, is a community of Christ. Mm-hmm. What do we proclaim but the gospel of Christ, the word of Christ? How? Through worshiping the risen Christ, um, through discipling people to be presented mature in Christ and to serve people in response to Christ who served us and gave his life for us, gave his life as a ransom for many. What service? So Christ is just saturated in all these values, which is awesome. Kind of gives some, um, not that they're not cohesive, but look, these are all in the same direction. Yeah, in the in our values, we are. It, it kind of inadvertently um, shows a a vision for of transformation. Mm, it is it's a transformational yeah. uh, values, yeah. you know, community that's being transformed by the word that transforms. Yeah. It transforms how we worship. It transforms how we evangelize and how we grow. It transforms how we serve. Yeah. So you take Christ, the word out of the picture, and you just have a social club. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when you think about just our own personal values, it's never a drain on us, the things that we value, even if they're laborious. So these things might not be the easiest things in your life, but we do hope that you value them, that you treasure them, that whether or not do you love every person in this community, you treasure it because God treasures it. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you feel like you can articulate the word perfectly, that you cherish it because it saved you and it can save others. Same with worship, discipleship, service. Um, maybe serving is still not that spiritual impulse that you have, even though you know you should and you, you get pricked in heart. But do you value it? I think that's the question we... We should leave our listeners thinking about is are the values that we've penned out uh, actually values in your own life? Yeah, are, are they you are they yours? Yeah. Are they yours? And yeah. you know, for for those who may not be a member or attender of our church, we certainly frame and record this podcast being mindful of and hoping that this would serve um, Christians all throughout our city and, and other cities. Um, but we, our mission statement is very vanilla. It is not, you know, earth shattering. It's it's pretty straightforward, um, and and plain. But that's not a bad thing. And if, if any of this has been a benefit to you, I would encourage you to find a church that has those similar values, and, and that could be a starting point in your search for a church. Mm. Is if do they are they marked? Yeah by these these values. We're not the only ones. We're not saying right. that here. Right. Um, but can you find someone, a, a place yeah. that has values like this? That's a good starting place in your search for a church. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, brother, as always, for Thank you. contributing so much. Uh, especially if you are a member at our church, I do invite you to, uh, this is your formal invitation to hold <laughs> us as pastors and, and our community to value these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to... We need to prize them and the things we prize, we talk about. 
Amen. I love my 15, 16 month old son. I talk about him all the time. It's because I, I value him. We need to be talking about these things, doing these things. So um, may God help us to that end. Amen. Thanks for joining the conversation on Chicago's Gospel Podcast. If you're benefiting from these conversations, consider sharing this podcast episode with a friend or neighbor. We would also love to hear about topics you want to discuss. So reach out to us with your ideas at gospel at ASCCChicago.org. Until next time, remember that Christ's unchanging gospel is transforming your life in an ever-changing city.